Good morning. Good morning, church. Well, you are not very convinced, are you? Is it that bad of a morning for you? Wow, this message will work for you then, I think. Well, good morning. It's been, uh, it's so great for us to gather together to be reminded of that hope. And we've been in a series in Ecclesiastes. Uh, anybody been reading along? So you're like in misery, right? Because Ecclesiastes is one of those books a lot of churches don't tackle. And I didn't know that until we picked it. And then I think I told the story, John Dixon, PhD, ancient history historian, said, yeah, I never teach that book because I don't know what it's about. I thought, oh, <laughs> well, we give it our best shot. So here we go. Uh, no, we've been in our series, and I want to tackle Ecclesiastes 8 this morning. But I want to tell you, a week ago, I had mentioned I had just returned from a trip. And I wanted to show you a couple pictures of where um, Dave Becker, Chuck Beckman, um, uh, Dan Irwin, and Ron, uh, guy from Sh the guy from Shano, um, we were on this trip together, and just such a, a, such an amazing trip. I mean, some of the pictures of, of where we're two canoes, and just these are kind of some of the mornings and evenings, and it's just nothing to worry. I mean, physically you're beat up, but nothing to worry about other than find the next camp spot, catch your fish, go to bed. I mean, life is simple, right? Now, it wasn't the only thing that happened traumatic. Dave will have to explain. He flipped our canoe, almost killed he and I. I mean, he is accountable to that, to God, and you have to talk to him about that. Um, risking the life of the pastor, I just, I can't believe that, Dave. The weight you must feel right now. <laughs> uh, no, it was a great week, uh, and, but I want to tell you why. I'm telling you that because I want you to know about this week. Because, see, Sunday was kind of that day. We, we got back late Saturday night and Sunday, and then I had Monday. And that's where my body said, um, why did you just do that to me all that week? And so I physically was just beat up, and I like, okay, I have to take a break this week. So I was feeling um, the pains of, of all the things we had done physically that week. Um, but then I came in to the office, and I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that. When you go away to vacation, it's like, great. And then you realize you got a lot more to do when you were gone, right? It just like multiplied. And the weight of that just, boom. Oh, and, it, and you get into work mode, and you think, I'm going to tackle this, but it's just too, it's overwhelming, right? You felt that? Anybody? Any amens out there? No? Yeah. Come on now. So I, I felt that. And then, uh, because I get into that grind, guys, you, don't, you probably don't relate, but I, I get into that, all right, I'm focused and worked, and so like relationships and family are secondary because it's about the work, right? So then I'm getting disconnected from my wife and my kids, and I'm just, I'm in the grind. Then the, the horrible thing happens, the, the worst that could happen to anyone. I don't wish this upon anybody. My iPhone died. <laughs> I mean, it, that's trauma. I don't know if you've experienced that yet when your smartphone, like all, <laughs> when your smartphone dies, you get dumb really quick. You're not sure how you're going to talk to people. How are you going to find them? You, you realize all the numbers you never memorized, right, because it does it for you. I actually think the smartphone makes you dumber. But anyway, that's a whole other message. So my iPhone dies, 
And that's it. That's like, oh my gosh. Because, hey, I, I can't afford to go buy another one. What am I, I going to do? I'm like a day or two without an iPhone. And then uh, I get a letter. I get a letter. One of those great letters. I get one of these sometimes, and they're not signed, but it's, hey, dear pastor at this, you know, at the church, here's why I don't like community church. And, you know, they're so great. I love those letters, <laughs> especially when they're not signed. They're just awesome. You know, put it on the tack board there. Uh, it was like, wow. And I, I was, this, this week that I had in this beautiful, serene place, feeling like life was peaceful and solid, all the foundation of, of my confidence and my peace started to, to crack and to crumble. Uh, in other words, it got, it got really unstable. Well, so, put, to, to add to the fire, uh, I could add on my hand probably one or two hands all the times I've really gotten so sick I've had to be into the bathroom and doing all those things you don't like to do when you're nauseous. Well, sure enough, I'm, I'm there on, on this week to just cap off the week. And I am sick, like trying to just be a good soldier, come in and work, but nothing. And I'm thinking, man, life is a mess. What, what is life really about? Now, I'm sure you don't relate to this, but a couple things go wrong for you, right? Everything seems huge. So you pull into your driveway and you see those stinking weeds again, right? Why do they keep coming back? And they're, they're like a life problem. It should be on CNN about the weeds that come on into your yard. And it's, it's like call the government. It's, it's, everything becomes big. And then to finish off the week, hearing about some, a couple uh, people that had left the church and, and what they didn't like. So that was my week. It made me ask the question, what am I really standing on? Maybe it's something for you to ask yourselves the question this morning. What couple things need to happen in your life where your life unravels? What is it that you stand on every week, just confident that things are going to work the way you want them to work, and, and if they were to go away, if those things were taken from you, what would you be standing on? This is what I experienced this week, and I think as God does, typically for me in my life, I don't know about yours, but he doesn't want me just to, to do a message, he wants me to live it. And I found myself standing on a very shaky foundation this week. Corrie ten Boom, she was hiding Jewish refugees during the World War II, and she was Dutch. She says it this way, this idea about stress and worry and when our worlds fall apart. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. We often think that we can take on stress and worry and that, that worry changes things. I love the quote. that It says that if... We, we kind of wish that uh, stressing out was burning calories, because if it were true, we'd all be supermodels, right? So if, if stress were like burning calories, it was like an exercise that you could do, we'd be just hot looking, wouldn't we? We'd be all great. But that's not what stress is like. In fact, studies show stress, get this, 
It's around money. It's around so many different things in our lives. But the latest, listen to this, the number one uh, this year and this last month is government, politicians. Creating the most stress in, in our world today. Number two is watching the news. Number three, family schedules. Anybody an amen to that? The family schedule. That's, that's like a big deal today, isn't it? It goes on, running errands, commuting, car problems, household repairs, losing important things. And get this, using social media. Anybody stressed out about Facebook or Twitter? Anybody done that? Nobody's willing to confess that. Yeah, we, we stress out about so much. And I think when we stress out, it should cause us to ask a question of, why are we stressed out, and why are we standing on these things that really aren't very foundational for us? That's a question that I want to pose for you because Solomon, in Ecclesiastes 8, is going to be disenfranchised with some things. And what he's really talking about is that his foundation of hope the foundation of what brings him confidence, what brings him peace, what brings him happiness and joy in his life, they're starting to crack and crumble. You're probably not getting this, so let me give it to you another way. Some of you have mixed concrete before, right? You know that, and maybe you don't know, but there's some basics to concrete. It's not like uh, scratch cooking, right, or baking. You don't just decide you want to throw a little extra something-something into the concrete, Right? There's a mix, you put it in there, you put the water, and you turn it, and it mixes. And if you do it wrong, what happens over time to the pour, the foundation? It cracks. It starts to crumble. You didn't get a good mixture. Often in life, we find ourselves adding to the foundation of our lives, despite what the Scriptures say. Because we would only hope that Solomon could have seen the future and understood the hope that God was calling them to at that time, which was going to be Jesus. And so I'm giving you the punchline that the foundation that we're called to live and stand on is Jesus. My only hope. Yet, we find ourselves often putting other things into the mix of our foundation, don't we? And when they go away, when they crack, when they crumble... We find ourselves unsettled. Some find ourselves with health, right? My week, who would have thought that, that health could, could do that to me? Small illness in light of what Bobby just said, a man saying, I have liver cancer, but think about that. Now, these things aren't bad because we all want health and we want that, but when that becomes the thing I stand on, when that becomes the foundation, there's no security in that. If you're a gambling person, those are bad odds. Because the odds are, all of us will not make it out of this world alive. You're going to have bad health. But we put that into the mix, don't we? Some put technology, right? So God forbid that your iPhone goes down. But sometimes that sneaks into the mix that, you know, you've got to have your communication tool. How about money? When you open up that envelope and you realize that you can't pay that bill or that loan can't be paid or they're calling you and you feel that stress 
and you feel that tension and you realize, you just say, God, I want more. Why could I have a little bit more? And it starts to be in your mix of a foundation that you want to stand on. How about people? They never disappoint, right? Why don't people just behave like they're supposed to, right? For us. And what happens is, is we find that we're, we find our foundation when, when people, when friends, especially on Facebook and these crazy social media environments, they, they're not behaving the way they're supposed to be. How about your plans? I can't stand when I plan for something and it changes and it keeps changing. Ah, I get so flustered. Sure, none of you experience that, right? Your planners and when your plans don't go your way. How about relationships? Some try to, to stand so solidly on relationships. I know that as a younger man, dating and uh, meeting Trisha and saying, gosh, marriage and that love relationship, that's going to complete me. That's going to be like the foundation of my happiness, right? How many are married in this room? And you can tell me, uh-huh. It's a great thing. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It doesn't, I'm not discounting any of these areas of life because we long for some of those things. But when we stand on them as our hope, as our found out foundation, we di they're disappointing, right? They fail us. Some make family. And I'm sure none of you have experienced family disappointments where families don't meet the expectations that you have for them, family get-togethers. We spend so much time sometimes on family and around family only to find ourselves all disappointed. It's not what it's supposed to be. Is that in your mix? How about work? That job promotion, that, that boss isn't running the business like you think you should or you, how you would do it, right? Maybe, it's, maybe it's, the, it's the pastors not doing the church like you'd like it to be done. And we could put all this in, and we find this stuff creeping in. It could be government, right? It could be if, if I just now sweep and, and catch anybody else who's not in here. Control and feeling, right? You just want to be in control, or you want to feel good. And we find all these into the mix for us in life to create this foundation that our lives have to have all these things in place. And then you read your Bible and you read statements like from Paul who says, I could be thrown in prison. And my foundation is still there. It's not to say he was perfect. We know in Romans 7, the doo-doo chapter, which Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I, I wish I could do, I don't do. And he, or I keep doing. He's He's struggling. And we find ourselves struggling, don't we? And we find ourselves not a lot like these verses we read. And Paul says, you could throw me in prison, you can beat me, you could persecute me, and still my foundation is Christ. This morning, we're going to look at Solomon. Now, Solomon's been given great wisdom. We know that that wisdom was from God, that he asked in humility to God, said, I need, uh, uh, I need some help because I can't lead Israel. And he was a very young man. He was a boy. And God says, I'm going to give you wisdom and because you didn't ask for any of these other things, wealth and power and prestige and all these things, I'm going to give them to you. It becomes some of his demise. 
but he's been given wisdom, and yet he can't quite figure out how to think about life and how to face and needing that wisdom to face what is his true foundation. Wouldn't it have been interesting if Solomon could see in the future that Jesus Christ would be that only hope, that God was only giving him some of that hidden, those hidden signals that I am your trust, I am your hope. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Solomon is going to break, basically break it down in three basic areas that he's struggling with. Number one is authority. He is going to struggle with authority about how authority has the authority and you can't control it. And you know what? You may be treated wrong at work and you may be not happy with how government works, but you can't do anything about it. Listen to how he says it. In verse 2 he says, Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause. For he'll do whatever he pleases. He's saying here, you feel like you're underneath this authority and you can stand up and live the way you want to. Recognize that this person over you is outside of your control and he's going to do whatever he wants. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? You can't question authority. Now we can go to our bosses and we can go to pastors at the churches and we can dialogue and work through that, but ultimately, you can't control authority. You can't control the government. He's feeling this sense of loss. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. And the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a, through a person may be weighed down by misery. He, he continues on through this and is struggling. He says, verse 9, As this I saw as I applied to my mind to everything done under the sun, there is a time when a man lords it over others to, to his own hurt. Solomon is summarizing and saying, even though he's a king himself, realizing Authority can't be the foundation. Authority disappoints. I try to say it often, and I'm going to keep saying it to you. I'm going to disappoint you. If, if part of your foundation is that you're looking for a perfect church gathering, if, if a place where the pastor is just saying it the way you want to say it and making you feel great and, and sending you out of here and doing all the right things, I am going to fail you miserably. I'm going to put so many cracks in your foundation. It'll get, I'm going to give you plenty of reason to leave if that's your foundation. Our bosses, our authority, our government, all those will disappoint. Solomon has recognized that authority is not my hope. He also looks at inequity. And in a sense, maybe another way to describe this would be injustice. That things don't meet up. This next set of verses, he's going to dialogue about some people live life very good and, and yet they're treated very badly. How, how many of you have maybe rolled out of bed or, or lived life and had that moment where you saw someone that's just immoral? That maybe even borderline evil 
uh, and, and you just said, gosh, I deserve better. It seems like they have things so easy and so great. And I'm living so good. God, could I just get it a little bit, a little bit this way? And Solomon's struggling because he recognizes the inequity of life. It doesn't match up that way. Remember Proverbs. Hey, if you work hard, you'll reap the benefit of that. And sometimes that's true. But also sometimes it's not true. It doesn't work out that way. Then too I saw the wicked buried. Those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. This first verse is mentioning he, he sees a funeral of a man that's wicked, that's in and out of the synagogue, that looks spiritual. Yet he knows he's wicked and he gets a great funeral. How does that work? People, don't you know this person was a dirtbag? He shouldn't be getting a good funeral. This is what Solomon is struggling with. All these verses work through this struggle, but down to verse 14 says, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Solomon's foundation is shaking because he realizes authority disappoints the inequity of life there is not much justice with man under the sun it doesn't always work out the way we want it again flipping on the news reading the paper maybe even amongst your own family's circles or friends you see that inequity don't you and when we rest and make the mixture about that, we're only led to disappointment. His third area, Solomon, interestingly enough, struggles with the idea of knowledge. He struggles with it because in light of his pursuing, his, his pursuing and getting so much wisdom from God and knowing so much and being seen as one who has great intellect, he finds himself at this place of mystery that Knowledge you can never fully know about life. He says, calls it a mystery. Look at a couple of these verses. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. He's fatalistic. Remember Bobby talked about that. It's this fatalistic attitude. The joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life God's given them under the sun. Hey, you can't fully know about it. Forget it. Let's party. You see this lostness, and there, there are people that live this way. Just forget it. Life is that bad. I'm just going to live it the way I want to. Verse 16, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God had done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. You ever felt that? Ever felt that reality? I pursue knowledge. I pursue more things about God, yet I'm still in the, in the dark. I feel like I don't know. One of the comments that comes often with people that are returning to church or coming for the first time is, I want to know more about God, and there's a hunger for that knowledge. 
The problem, and that's not bad, the problem can be when that becomes your foundation about the full spectrum of knowing. You, you know, you become that, you know, that, oh, you know everything about God. It doesn't exist. I think as I study Scripture and continue to, to, to try to understand who God is, it becomes more of a mystery. So many things I can't explain about God. And this is where Solomon's at. To summarize, Solomon is giving us this picture. There is no hope with anything under the sun. There is nothing solid about the foundation of anything else in this life under the sun. I asked you in the beginning, what's your hope? What's your foundation? What's the one, two, three things in your mixture if fall apart or taken from you where your life just becomes unstable and unraveled. And as righteous and spiritual as you might be, it could be an iPhone, as I found out this week. It unraveled the life. You know, It's not like I lost hope in Christ, but it's like, how did that get in there? Why did that become such a big deal to me? Jesus is going to talk about this in the New Testament. And again, we could only hope that Solomon would have had this opportunity to see this, these words or hear these words from Jesus himself. Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Let's stop there for a moment. Friends, so many people go to a service at a church campus and think that's being a Christian. Countless times throughout the New Testament, God will say, Jesus himself will say, you are a follower of mine when you obey what I have already told you. So many times, church can get reduced to, hey, ch- hey pastor, give me, a new, give me a new set of information. Give, give me some more information about God. Give me, give me some good messages. I think we have enough information out there if we could just begin to live them. I have couples come into my office, and, and usually it's premarital counseling, and often it's, where's your faith journey, and maybe they're returning to church, and uh, so where are you at now? Oh, we're living together, and so then I'll ask them, are you sleeping together? Yeah. And then I'll ask them, well, do, are, do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Because what it's not computing to me, it says... You, you are a person who has relationship with Christ and loves God when you know the things that he said to you and you put them into practice. Oh, not that one though, Pastor. That one, that one doesn't count. And they don't say that. I, and some of you have been in that office, but it's, you see the, the disconnect? It's, it's for us to begin to put it into practice. And so Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. When we know the things that the Bible teaches us on how to live, 
And we choose differently to put different mixtures into our foundational mix. And it falls apart. It's like we're building life and happiness and peace on something that is not solid. It will not bring us hope, happiness, peace, confidence, maturity. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And that's what you'll find. And this week, I found my whole life didn't crumble, but in a small micro picture for me, a few things like an iPhone and sickness and a letter and some dumb things that I let get into the mix, you lose sight, don't you? You lose perspective. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians this way, or no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And our Bibles are full, full, loaded. There's... Our Bibles are so loaded with so much that he's saying, oh, don't do that. That's not the foundation that I'm calling you to stand on. That's going to disappoint you. That's going to fall apart. Some of you are seeking for happiness in your spiritual journey. And friends, this morning you need to hear, begin to hear the words that Jesus has already asked you to do. Begin to put those into your life. Put those into the mixture. What's your foundation this morning? Bobby and the team are going to come up and they're going to lead us and we're going to extend our, our response time to three songs and ask you to, to stay throughout that whole time. Because what we're going to ask you to do is to, to remove. Out of the foundational mixture, out, take that out of your life. Those things aren't bad. iPhones aren't evil, I think. But, but what we're asking this morning is for all of us to say it, the only hope, as we sang already three songs, is Jesus. That is the foundation. Therefore, no matter what comes my way, I don't want bad health, but I know eventually I'll have some. But my hope is Jesus. When people choose to leave the church, my hope isn't that everybody likes me or likes our body. It's that my hope is Jesus. That when work doesn't go its way, when money doesn't come in, my hope is Jesus. He becomes my foundation and my relationship is with Him and Him alone. This morning we're invited to the table to evaluate that. Father in heaven, make us understand and see very clearly where we have allowed other things to enter into the mix of that foundation that only has place for your son Jesus alone. In Jesus' name, our foundation. Amen.